Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. This is Reverend Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama. I've missed you guys. I've been sort of AWOL for the last month or so. My life has been crazy. Advent in the life of a minister is a busy, busy time. And in addition to just the regular comings and goings of the Advent season, um, my daughter got married, and I was the officiant. And then in top, uh, on top of that, um, a friend and member of our church was ordained, and um, it was a big, big event um, for me as the pastor of the congregation that was hosting the ordination. Um, anyway, so I'm excited now to be here in the new year. But this time of the year, right now in January 2020, we are looking at some scary things. We are looking down the barrel of a gun known as an election year. We are watching our president deal with some pretty scary things. Some of us agree with the way he's handling it. Some of us are terrified of the way he's handling it. Either way, we are all nervous. Australia is on fire. For most of this year, our country, the western part, was on fire. Our rainforests are on fire. It is a difficult and scary time. And so we come and the scripture for this day, this Matthew 2 scripture of Jesus and his parents fleeing to Egypt to escape the terrors of Herod, but leaving behind the innocent babies and their mothers and their fathers and their families to watch in horror as Herod's soldiers slaughter everyone two years old or younger. It is a strange story to find in the middle of the Christmas story. It is a strange story to have to process and to understand how does this fit and how do I wrap my mind around a God that would allow Herod to successfully kill all of those innocents. And so today we go to the congregation at First Christian Church and we are discussing this together because I don't have the wisdom in and of myself to be able to deal with this alone. And so we as a community of faith are going to process this scripture. We're going to process our world. We're going to process all of this together. And I invite you to join in to the dialogue, whether you want to call in or write in um, for, for this podcast, or if you want to find me on Facebook, it's Laura Hutchinson um, on Facebook. I uh, encourage you to respond. Um some of the resources that uh, I talked about in this uh, sermon that were referenced, one was a sermon series I did on half-truths in the Bible, was based on a book by Adam Hamilton called Half-Truths. Um, another resource that you may want to look up is uh, a book called The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, where he goes on to reflect on one of the things that we talk about in this, in this sermon during this, this discussion. So I pray that you are all doing well, and I pray that you stick with this conversation and stick with this uh, this sermon, and, and that you stick with us for the coming year, uh, that God will bring insight and inspiration and hope to all of us as we go into this new year of 2020. God bless you all, and Happy New Year. Amen.
Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I'm going to read you the scripture one more time. This is Matthew 2, 13 through 23. Excuse me. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to, in the, to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Now, I'm going to be asking you a series of questions and discussion uh, to, to, to lead a discussion here. Please feel free to share. There are no wrong answers. There's no, no one is going to say, oh, they shouldn't have said that. We're talking about our feelings of justice today, our feelings of what we would like to see from God. We're free to share confusion um, and even anger with God. Because my first question for you is, how does this story make you feel? Well, sad, of course, because of all the babies that were killed. I mean, there was, there was probably a... An, Hundreds, at yeah, least. Thousands, yeah. Thousands of them. How does this story make you feel? Yeah? What do you mean? There's children in cages because they were fleeing from what they couldn't deal with. So it's pretty much exactly the way it was back then. Injustice. For different reasons, maybe justified for different ways, but there are still children suffering and mothers suffering, parents suffering. What? Yes. Mm-hmm. In our country and around the world. Immigrants. Immigrants. Yeah. And we don't hear much about the immigrants and the 
in the, on our borders right now, but they're still there. Yeah, they're not being outright murdered by the head of state, but. A bigger parallel is where? The one-child policy in China. Yes, yes. They've changed that in China. Right, it's not there anymore. They're doing, diff it's a different policy. I'm not sure exactly how it is, but yeah, it's different. Um, so what does it do to you to think of all of those mothers living to witness the murder of their babies? What does that do to you? It, cu it cuts me to my heart. And it's difficult to see this right smack in the middle of the birth story of Jesus. It is a stark contrast, isn't it? I mean, we start out with this joyful story of this baby born in, uh, in a miracle, and, and, and this story, all, granted, the child was born into poverty, but he was born into love, and, and the heavens were singing, and it was a celebration. And then immediately after, there is this slaughter, because the king wants to try and kill this infant. To me, it sometimes feels unjust that God would protect the baby Jesus, but not all of the other innocent babies. Have you ever felt that way? Where were the people, where were the people that should have been protecting those kids? Why didn't they stand up and do something? I'm thinking that in the face of the Roman army, they didn't have a whole lot of power. When soldiers show up in your town, and they are armed and you are not, it's kind of deja vu again, too, isn't it? But how could God let that happen? But how could God let that happen? Exactly. Yeah. There's a Renaissance painting, and I can't remember who the, who the, um, the artist is, that shows the scene of, it's, it's a scene of chaos and anguish with Roman soldiers, mothers, um, people just and a mass in this painting, and babies crying and screaming, and it's just, it's like a nightmare. Heart, heart rending, it's gut like, wrenching. The painting is like a nightmare. It's yeah. a depiction of this, you know, situation. Yeah. I, I think the pain of the mothers was just, just feeling like incompetent to do anything against that and, and they can see the child die. Mm -hmm. Can you see much? Does it make you wonder if that's how Mary felt 30 years later? Very much, very much. Mary's grief was, she didn't have to put, her baby was saved in that moment, but ultimately her baby was not, right? That was something I just thought of. I had not thought about that when I was planning this discussion. <laughs> Getting some feedback from the phone and the mic. In our world today, I have to say that this seems like a... Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, the king was 
dictator like Hitler, like any other dictator, whatever they said went. So it wasn't something new. They were, other people were being slaughtered. Right. Um, it was. Uh, this was the culture into which Jesus was born. Right. This was normal. Yeah. And Jesus was born into it. Done in the time of Moses. Yeah, I mean, this is a theme that happens throughout biblical times. And um, it's also a theme that happens throughout uh, Jewish history. Jewish babies slaughtered on a regular basis, right? Um, I feel certain Herod didn't order non-Jewish babies to be slaughtered because Jewish babies were the ones that were predicted to become the king and to maybe overthrow Herod one day. So our world today seems awfully unsettling to us. It seems that half the world is burning. Australia, the Brazilian rainforests, the western part of the United States. It appears that we're going to war in the Middle East again. This is what, third or fourth time in my lifetime? I'm losing count, to be honest. Half of our country hates our president with a raging passion that mimics the forest fires, and the other half thinks he's doing a pretty good job, which creates a tension that many of us have never seen in this country in our lifetime. The oceans are full of trash, and the reefs are dying, and no one will agree on a a path of what to do. They will not agree on a plan. And on and on and on. And you posted on your Facebook page yesterday, she said this, there must be reasons for the extreme violence all around us. What do you think? What do you think? End times. End times, you're saying? End we times? could possibly be in the end times. A lot of this was predicted. Maybe. A lot of hate. And if we can do away with the hate, maybe we can re- go forward. But our country is too many who are filled with hate. Yeah. And what is the antithesis of hate? Love. Love. Right. Anyone else? What do you think about the rise of the violence? Is there a rise in violence? You think it's more? Yeah, I think that... I think that so many people now think it's cool to be a jerk. Mm. That the, 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 the more like a toad you really are, the cooler you are on social media. Yeah, I think that's true. I think social media has empowered us to be jerks. Skinning a dog got over a million hits. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. A little while back one evening, I received a text from Hayden. As you know, he is 13 years old. He said this, I was lying in bed reading, getting ready to go to sleep, and this text pops up on my phone. He said, Pastor Laura, I have a question. If God wants the best for the world, why is all of this happening? Why is the world crumbling to pieces every single second of existence? I'm not saying this is changing my views on God because I still love and value him as my Lord and Savior, but why isn't he helping us? 
We're sitting here crawling closer to death every single day and nothing ever happens. I'm just so upset and frustrated right now. Everything's wrong, nothing's getting right. Everybody's fighting and dying and nothing's being done about it because everybody is too busy with their own lives to care about other people. I don't know what is happening and I don't know what to do about it. I pray and pray and pray, but nothing gets better. Help. Anyone gotten a text like that before? <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to answer a question like that for someone as honest and vulnerable as Hayden made himself to be with me that day. Has anyone else experienced feelings and frustrations like Anne's and Hayden's? Every single day. Every day. Hopelessness. You struggle with hopelessness? How many of you struggle with your faith in a God, a benevolent God? I mean, if, if right? If, how, how do you believe in a God when a world like this exists? This is a common struggle for agnostics, for atheists, and for seekers, for people who are Christians but are really struggling with this good God that they've been taught about all their lives. Um, the question that Hayden is asking is literally called the problem of evil. You nailed a philosophical question that has been, ham been hammered out by philosophers and theologians for decades, centuries even. I'm not even sure how long ago, how long. Well, this has probably been started since the day the church was born. The problem of evil. If God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omnibenevolent, meaning all-powerful, all-present, and all-good, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Have you ever heard it called that, the problem of evil? You ever heard that phrase, the problem of evil? What are your thoughts about this problem? Have you ever struggled with it, or has anybody ever asked you about it? I think the devil plays a big part in all of this. And God can't do everything and doesn't cause these things. He does not. Mm -hmm. They happen, and he promises to help us through the difficulties, but he doesn't promise us there aren't any. Why do you think God doesn't make that promise? I don't know. You mm -hmm. tell me. <laughs> yeah. That's the question. Why doesn't God promise to take care of us? I feel like we can do better. We can just gather a group someday to help save the whole entire world. How do you think a group could do that? What would you like to see happen? I would like to see trash being picked up everywhere and things being recycled if they are recyclables and just helping people understand the true meaning of the beauty of the world. Mm. Mm. Yes. You ask, <clears throat> you ask why doesn't God promise to take care of us? Well, he does. Um, because he doesn't promise us we're not going to have any trouble in life because there's sin in the world. But he does promise to help us deal with that and to get through it and to cope and to come through it to the other side and love again and accept and heal. And, um, and that is the hope 
that we have in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, Christians are really blessed because we have that hope and we have that hope of eternal life mm -hmm. after we leave this earth. Mm -hmm. Yep. Thanks, Mom. Good segue. Mankind has free will and God doesn't cause anything evil to happen. Uh, people like to blame it on evil, but it's mankind itself mm -hmm. that chooses to do that. Right. That's true. That it's sin. It's not God. It, was it this summer or the summer before? I can't remember anymore when I did the sermon series about half-truths in the Bible. Talking about one of the things that, that people say is that um, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, right? Implying that God gave you this pain in the first place, right? That's, that's the main implication of that saying. God gave this to you, but he won't give you any more than you can handle. And then you hear people say, well, I wish you didn't have so much faith in me because I don't think I can handle this, right? But did God give it to them in the first place? William Lane Craig is a Christian philosopher, and he says that this question about the problem of evil comes from an emotional place rather than a philosophical one. There is a philosophical angle to it, and he goes all into that, and it is deep. But the part that relates to me, the one that connected to me, was the emotional side of it. Um, because it comes from a place of empathy and sympathy and compassion, or from a place of personal suffering. He said that people simply don't like a God that allows suffering to exist. But when you put it into the context of a God who inserts God's self into human history as a human who suffers greatly on the cross, Christ bore suffering that none of us can understand. Even though he was innocent, he bore the consequences of our sins. So does the idea of a suffering God change the context of the problem of evil for you? Have you ever thought about it like that? that God doesn't create the suffering. Instead, he chose to suffer with us, not just in solidarity, but in order to save us from eternal suffering. So maybe we suffer here in this world for a little while, but because of the suffering that God experienced with us and on behalf of us, we then get to live forever in peace. Does that help in any way or change anything for you? What do you think about that? You wish it did. It doesn't. How come? I'm overwhelmed. And it's nice to know everybody else feels it, but I wish none of us did. If Jesus or anybody else. Had to feel the suffering. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I also think that um, uh, he, he didn't promise that we was not going to be in any sorrows or, or problems or anything. But I also think that um, when we are in conference or when we um, are in trouble, that's when we really come to him. Mm -hmm. and, and he probably makes us to understand that he's always there and he's always uh, going to fulfill his promises. And, and to me, it didn't really matter what happened. In the end, 
his promise is going to be the true. Mm-hmm. And if we follow faithful to him, which, which is a, in our human bodies or in our human cells, it's kind of hard because we, when we're in conflicts, when we're in trouble, we directly come to him and we want the problem to be resolved. But even if the problem is not resolved, he is there for us mm-hmm. every minute. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking what I don't think that's work. It is. Okay. <laughs> I was just thinking about what we would like this earth, this world to be like. We would like no suffering. We would like for everybody to be happy. Uh, no death. Now what does that describe? Heaven. Heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't heaven. But it's a preparation for heaven. I believe that your philosopher, uh, I, I, I think he was right. Mm-hmm. I had a, a lady who lost her husband not too long ago, and she said, why does God take the good ones and leave the bad? And I said to her, I said, but God didn't do that. Your husband was sick. Mm. It was a circumstance, and we lived through circumstances. I had someone say to me when my son died, why did God allow that to happen? I said, he didn't do that. He had a car accident. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't God that did it now. I guess God could have stopped it, Mm -hmm. but he didn't. Why, I don't know, but someday maybe we will know those answers, but I believe that uh, my son died in a car accident. I believe people die of illness, and I don't think God causes any of them. Yeah. The the majority of our suffering is caused by human sin. Even our environmental problems today, the fires and the hurricanes and the storms and all of those things, perhaps even all of the cancers that we're seeing um, are being caused because we're corrupting our own environment and disrupting our own immune systems. You know, and I'm not saying that you got cancer because you sinned. I'm saying you got cancer because someone sinned or a lot of someone sinned over many, many years, maybe. You know what I mean? It's, it's like these, these things happen because of sin. And of course, all storms aren't because of sin. The earth is what it is, and nature is what it is. And sometimes things do just happen. And sometimes they happen because we make bad choices, and sometimes we suffer because someone else made bad choices. Um, You may be wondering what my answer to Hayden's question was. And I did a lot of praying before I wrote this text. And I started out by saying, this is kind of a dissertation answer, not a text answer. But I'm going to try it for you because I love you. So I said, in a word, the answer is sin. Sin is why all these terrible things are happening. Because God put humanity in charge of the planet. And our sinful nature is getting in the way of God's desires for us. Greed, lust, thirst for power, arrogance, these are only a few of the sins that drive us to hurt each other, the planet, and ultimately ourselves. That's the reason it is so very important that we all focus on our relationship with God, because it is those relationships that will eventually save us from ourselves. Sin destroys everything, and it's the reason God came to us and died for us, so that we could have a way out of our sinfulness. I pray every day 
that God will save us from the destruction that we see everywhere. I don't know if God will come while I'm still living, but I do believe God will come and God will stop the insanity of this earth. In the meantime, I try to trust God and focus on the things that God calls me to do to help make the world a better place. And I pray for the church that it can have a positive influence on humanity. And I pray for all of the lost sheep who don't know God and who don't know God's love. Because if they really understood what that love is all about, they wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. And I pray for myself that I will always do God's will and that I won't stray off the path that God sets for me because if I don't stay focused on God, then I can easily hurt myself and others with my own sinfulness. That's about all I can fit in a text, but I'd be happy to meet with you sometime to talk more about this. Let me know. I'll be there. That goes for everybody. So let's think about this world that Jesus was born into. Our Judeo-Christian myth of creation is that the first two humans were lured by the serpent to disobey that first time, thus creating a domino effect that we're still dealing with today. Now, whether the story of Adam and Eve is literally true or if it is a parable designed to teach us moral truths, it doesn't really matter in this case because it illustrates how sin enters into all of our decisions. We are tempted. And we can choose to answer that temptation, or we can choose to reject it. And it is these sins that bear the responsibility for most of the suffering in the world. Herod's lust for power and his fear of losing that power such as it was, because it wasn't really power um, when we look back through history and really see it. This is the cause of all of the suffering in our story. And Jesus was born into a world steeped in sinfulness because he was going to save us from it. As Dick said, it was already there. That was already happening. Herod was already who Herod was. These were things that were already going on in the world. These are things that continue to go on in the world. But the difference between now and then is that we have a Christ, a God who died for us so that we could be saved from this sin once and for all. Because the danger before that was that we would be stuck with that sin for eternity. Now we don't have to. We get to choose God, and we have a fast track to God through Jesus Christ. And that is the glory and the hope and the beauty of the Christmas story, followed very closely by the Easter story. God gives us a choice to come to God freely or to not come to God. In Christ Jesus, it is infinitely easier to get to God than it was before he lived. That's because God came to us and continues to dwell with us to this day. God doesn't want, us, want to force us to obey God because God wants a relationship with us. If God forced us to be in relationship with him, that would be called slavery. Instead, our relationship with God is a relationship of freedom. With as many of us as possible, God wants to be in relationship with us. And to have a relationship with us, we, each person individually, must choose God over all else. And it is through the Christ that makes this more possible than any time before he was ever born. 
And so we live in a scary world. We live in a world that is in an upheaval. We are entering into another election year, God help us. People are entering this year with fear and trepidation no matter who they're rooting for. We are possibly entering into war. But God is the shining light in the midst of the darkness in this world. Jesus Christ is the light in the darkness because he pushes away the darkness. Sometimes he pushes the darkness away in our hearts only while it ravages and rages around us. Sometimes Jesus pushes the darkness away much further. But in the end, we are all born into the light. We are born into heaven. We are born into eternity with God, and that is the hope. We gain peace in our hearts and in our minds and our bodies with the love of God and the relationship that we have with God today. And we have the promise of perfect peace for all eternity. So we need to be in prayer. Let us continue to pray that our president, our Congress leaders, the leaders of other countries, whether they be dictators or elected officials, we must pray for them every day. We must pray for our world. But most importantly, let us pray that people will know Jesus. Not in action and not in word, not lip service. Truly know Jesus in their hearts. Because once we know Jesus, we see our own sinful nature. And we choose, hopefully, to start changing that because our love for Jesus influences that. So let us pray. Let us pray and find our hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.